there was a young man that approached Jesus in the Gospels, and he uh, he called him a good teacher. And uh, and Jesus responded by saying, uh, "Why are you calling me good? Only God is good." And a lot of people uh, misinterpret that uh, when they're trying to uh, prove that Jesus never claimed to be God. They use that verse and they say, see, Jesus was saying, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. And it's true. But what Jesus was saying is if you're going to call me good, you might as well go all the way and recognize that I am God. So he's the only one that's good. He's the only one that's perfect. Perfection uh, is only found in Christ, not in us. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. Our hope is in the one who offered himself on Calvary's cross as the perfect lamb of God. And this uh, idea and this doctrine of perfection, it's actually something that is come out straight out of the pits of hell. Because then we no longer, if we're striving for perfection, we no longer live in grace. We don't need his grace because we can somehow perform and we get into legalism. Our focus is on Christ and our desire is to live by faith. And by living by faith, we're in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And he's the one who's perfecting us. That perfection won't happen until the day we wake up on the other side. So in the meantime, love each other. Express mercy and grace and forgiveness to each other. And let's keep moving forward. Amen? So, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to finish today. And we're going to be looking at uh, from verse uh, number 10 toward the end. We saw already Peter address at the beginning of this chapter. Wives, husbands. And now he's going to talk to the church. This church, uh, and I hope to bring back to your memory what was going on with them. They were suffering at the hand of a cruel emperor, Nero. They were being persecuted unjustly and accused of things that they hadn't done. And so he comes in to encourage them. Isn't that awesome? We can know that God will encourage us. Peter says at the, in the beginning of this letter that we have a living hope. Because people were dying. Dying for their faith. Persecuted. And if they did survive and if they were still alive, they were suffering. And it may ask the reason why. For being Christians. For doing good. So he's going to address them here just going to read 10, uh, verse 10, 11, and 12. I'm going to go on from there, but with just these first three verses in 1 Peter chapter 3, you don't mind standing so we can show honor to God's word. And he says the following, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good, let him seek peace and pursue it. And then one of my favorite verses, it's a quote from Psalm. This whole, these whole three verses are a quote from Psalm 34. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But 
the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing on the sermon and on our time to, uh, uh, together here this morning. Father, uh, these are your words. And our prayer, Lord, is that we might be able to expose them. We might be able to dig through them. Tear them apart and put them back together so that we might understand what it is that you're saying to us in 21st century uh, America as a, as a Christian church, as your church, as your body, as believers in Christ. We can see back and see that uh, this particular place and time, uh, a, this body of believers, this group of brothers and sisters were suffering. They were suffering for the right reason. So help us, Lord, to put together this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit an understanding that we could take home with us and we can practice and live outside of these doors in a world that does not know you so that we might be faithful witnesses to the good news of the gospel. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, guys. Well, I don't know. Uh, Peter's saying whoever desires to love life and see good days. I, I don't know of anyone that w w doesn't want that. Unless there's some mental health issue or there's some bitterness there's some resentment, guilt. People, people want to live. People want to love life. We're created to love life. In spite of the fact that we live in a fallen world. Man, it, beautiful mornings like today. Don't you look at the mountains. Look at the great weather and just thank God you're alive. This is, this is who he's talking to. But these people are suffering. So they have a desire they want to have a good life. They want to see good days. They want to love life as according to verse number number 10. Boy, isn't it strange that we want something more when it's outside of our reach? Isn't it amazing how in life we would strive for, look for, desire that which we lack? Sometimes the Lord allows us to go through things so that we would appreciate them when we have them amen you don't know you need the Lord until the Lord is all you have amen if you think you have other things then you're most likely not to look for the Lord because you're satisfied in, in those things material things whatever they may be this group of believers man they just want to I mean just they just want to break they want to love life. They want to see good days. So then he tells them how to. One way to love life and have good days is to uh, keep your, uh, your tongue from evil. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say it. That's how we say it in modern day. Sometimes it's just better to zip it. Keep quiet. If you, as a response to evil. Now keep the context. Right? When someone mistreats you. When something happens uh, to say something negative or complain. You know what the apostle is saying here, Peter? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And borrowed from Psalm 34. So what he does here is he goes to the Old Testament. Which these believers would know. 
Because they were the dispersed Jews that had been converted in other countries outside of Israel. They understood the Old Testament. By the way, the New Testament didn't exist yet. This letter was just being read, so it was coming together. So he goes, that is, Peter goes in the Old Testament. He pulls from Psalm 34. By the way, it's the Psalm of David when he was running for his life and he was being persecuted. So he goes into the Old Testament, Peter does, and he says, Hey, if you want to, uh, uh, whoever desires to love life and see good days, keep let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. One good way to sleep well at night is to don't talk bad about others, don't curse others, and don't lie. Don't let lies come out of your mouth. I tell you what, you'll sleep much better. Because you know what's going to happen with that evil that comes from your tongue, the other person is most likely to look for payback and revenge. Human nature is that in which, oh, I'm going to one-up you. Oh, you diss me, I'm going to diss you. That's the way human nature works. Peter's saying that the Christian has nothing to do with that. So when you're being persecuted, when you're being mistreated, when you're being gossiped about keep quiet why we'll get to it but if you want to have good life uh, love life and have good days keep your tongue from speaking evil your lips from speaking deceit turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it so again the easiest thing for us to do is to what when someone's mistreating us or when we think something's not fair is to retaliate but what is it that the Lord said? Vengeance is mine. I will what? Repay. Sit tight. Let God take care of it. David, who this passage of scriptures referring to in Psalms 34, he let the matter fall into the hands of God. There's nothing better than leaving these matters in God's hands. Boy, I tell you what, there's a peace, there's a hope, there's expectation when you know that God's in control, when you know that God has a plan and a purpose for whatever it is you're experiencing, when you know that you don't have to handle it, that you don't have to be manipulative, that you don't have to be deceitful, that you don't have to be scheming, behind the scenes to try to get your way. Just leave it in God's hands. That's what he's saying here. Let him turn away. That's a decision, by the way. You're going to have to make that decision. It's easy for me to leave these matters in God's hands when I know that I trust him and that he knows what's best for me. I don't do anything. I just leave it in God's hands. And I think that's what he's referring to here. David did that. Go back and look at the uh, incident that he had with Abimelech, who he was running from in chapter 34 of Psalms. Turn away from evil. That's a decision, church. You're going to have to. And here's the best way to make it. This is the best way to live the Christian life. We saw it in Joseph's life when we went through that series some months back. When he was approached by Potiphar's wife, when he was tempted, when he had every opportunity to do uh, that which was pleasing to the flesh, he chose to flee. 
He did not make that decision at that moment. He made the decision before that moment. And as Christians, we need to make the decision that whenever something comes our way that's evil, that has to do with people who are looking to harm us or hurt us, we make the decision leave it in God's hands to turn away from evil. In other words, don't try to get revenge. No payback. You got yours coming. None of that is what we think about. We simply leave it in God's hands. And what we do is seek peace. Didn't it say that? Seek peace. Look for a way to have that againstness cease. There's a definition for peace. I learned it from my pastor some 30 some years ago. Peace is the cessation of againstness. In other words, you cease being against, in the case of the person who's persecuting you, or even when you make peace with God, you stop running, you stop wrestling, you stop fighting, you stop arguing with God, you cease the againstness. You're no longer against God. As a matter of fact, you come to the recognition that the gospel teaches that God is for us, who could be against us, that we're no longer enemies, we're his friends. And he's ours. That's the relationship we have with Jesus. That's the relationship we have with, with Christ. One of friendship. Amen? So in the, in the midst of persecution and difficulty, we look for uh, opportunities to do good. Isn't that what verse 11 says? Look for the opportunity to do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And then here comes one of my favorite verses, and I thank God for this verse. For the, because the question would be, why would I keep my tongue from speaking evil? Why would I not allow my lips to speak deceit? Why would I turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it? Why would I do that? Why would you do that? It says right here, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He's watching. Perpetually. Do you understand that, church? That the Lord is watching everything. He's omniscient. It's a fancy theological word to say that he knows it all. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about your circumstances. He knows everything about what's going to happen, what has happened, what is happening. Do you understand who we serve? The omniscient one, the one who knows it all. And not only does he know it all, but the other part of his attributes is that he's um, uh, omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. So not only does he know about us and our circumstances, but he can do something about it. He's limitless in power. So that's who you're depositing your life into. That's who you're surrendering your life to. To the one who knows it all before you do. Stop 
walking back and forth at night wondering how you're going to pay the rent or about your job or about this and that and the other thing because you can rest your, lay your head down on a pillow knowing that he sees all of it already and he has a plan and a purpose for you. We need to hear this because the days that are approaching are evil. As we get closer to the second coming of Christ, expect persecution. I do. I'm not surprised by the statement that there's the evil one out there, there's our adversary, the accuser of the brethren. I'm not surprised. I've been fighting and I've been battling in this spiritual journey as a pastor for 40 years. I expect it. And if it doesn't come my way, I must be doing something wrong. Because then when you're a friend of the world and the world leaves you alone, you're not doing anything for Christ. He's only coming against those who are a threat to his kingdom. Amen? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He sees everything. He, especially if you're doing right. But not only does he see their circumstances, his ears are open to their prayers. So given the fact that they're suffering, given the fact that they're being treated unjustly, given the fact that the emperor of Rome is destroying them, literally, throwing them to the lions in the Colosseum, tying them to trees and turning, turning them on fire, literally, that's what was happening to them. He sees that, and he hears the prayers of the church, of his righteous ones. By the way, you qualify as a righteous one when you put your faith in Christ, because the just shall live by faith. You're, and we are carriers. We are righteous, not in ourselves, but because... Of Christ in us. We have a foreign righteousness that is accredited to our account because we put our trust in the one who is righteous, Jesus. There's a great exchange that takes place. We come to the Lord as sinners. We come to the Lord in, in our fallen state and we trust in his work at Calvary's cross and he then because he went to Calvary's cross and absorbed the condemnation and the punishment that we deserve we switch places the innocent takes the guilt of the guilty and the guilty take the place of the one who's righteous that's how God sees us so he hears our prayers so how many of us are praying in difficulties in your trials how many of you are praying to him because he hears you? Paul says to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. I've thought about that for many years. I've talked about it, but I'm going to talk about it again now. How in the world can we pray without ceasing? Well, it's not this kind of prayer where you're like closed eyes and on your knees. Those are good too. But it is a, here, and listen to me, the way you pray without ceasing is that you have a constant awareness of his presence in your life. There's this attitude of the fact that he's there. 
So you could be driving and see something dangerous and you could simply whisper to him, Lord, protect me. Or you could be going into a meeting and you don't know what's going to happen in that meeting. Maybe it's something to do with your work or maybe it's something to do with uh, a parent going to, a, uh, I don't know, the principal's office for, because their son did something. And you could be whispering these things as you go in, aware of the fact that he hears you. So spell it out to him. I know it sounds facetious, but I like to be facetious to be able to drive home the point. If it's the big toe on the right foot that hurts, and it's been hurting you for a while, what you do is you say to the Lord, Lord, it's the big toe on the right foot. <laughs> Instead, what we got sometimes are these sanctimonious prayers that God probably just goes, Oh, brother. Dear God in the heavens, creator of the universe, who strung out the stars and the galaxies, the one who put the sun to shine and the earth to orbit, and I'm saying God's up in heaven going, oh, wow. He's like a kid coming to his dad. Dear dad, wonderful provider to the family, driver of the SUV, loving husband to my mother, I want a lollipop. What? Get real. It's the big toe on the right foot. It hurts and it's bothering me. Father, can you heal it? You know what I'm saying? Why? Why can we come to him and just say it in a truthful and honest way and quit putting on these shows of spirituality? Because we really don't believe he hears us. So we just like the Pharisees. Like the Pharisees. We go to the street corners. And we stand and we pray loudly. And we want to make sure they see us. He says you got your reward. They saw you but their father in heaven didn't hear you. You know his eyes are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers. That's a tremendous passage. It could change your life and how you live. Because he spoke about that at verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, what do you do? Understand that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He sees your plight. He sees your circumstance. He knows what you've gone through and why. And his ears are open to your prayer. So are you praying? Because you know he sees you. As a church, we need to be doing that more. It's my favorite verse. See, David was running for his life from Abimelech. And then he says in Psalm 34, and I kind of give you a little summary. In that verse, in that passage, he's where he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is from that Psalm 34. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. But David, you're running for your life. 
Yeah, I'm running for my life, but I will bless the Lord at all times in spite of that, and His praises shall be uh, in my mouth. He, continually in my mouth. Why? Because I have tasted and seen that in the midst of this difficulty, the Lord is what? Good. The Lord is good. We sang this song, so very appropriate. We have a good father. This reminds me of another passage that refers to the Lord's eyes found in 2 Chronicles 16.9. You can look at it later if those of you that are serious Bible study students. Write it down on your notes. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. You know what the Lord is doing, guys? He's doing this. He's looking throughout the whole earth. And what's he looking for? He's looking for what? Look what it says. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. He's looking for the blameless. He's looking for you whose heart is blameless toward him. And what does he want to do once he finds you? Support you. Support you. And it's so important to find support. You can find support from a friend. You can find support from your wife, your husband, your neighbor, a co-worker. You can find support in a lot of different places from a lot of different people. But you know what you can't find? Is the support that the Lord could provide. See, your friends are limited. And they're good friends, I'm sure you have, and good neighbors and co-workers. I have a lot of good friends. Good Christian friends. You know? My, my son knows some of them, Joe and Ron and Juan. I have a lot of good friends. You know, as a pastor, sometimes it's a very lonely place up here. I let you know that. I have people I give account to. I have people that look for me and I look for them. And we talk about the church. We talk about whatever it is I'm experiencing. I've got support. You need that. But you know what? At the end of the day, I've got a better support in Christ. And ultimately and primarily, I go to Him first. But you know, we are human. We do live in this life. We do need that contact with people. That's what fellowship is about. Let us get to know you and get to know me. Amen? Let's not judge each other until we know each other and pray before you think you know what you're talking about or how you can help. It's part of the plan for fellowship. The fellowship with one another is encouraging and helpful, but it can never help you as much as he can. There's no comparison. 
So David was running for his life, and he said, I will bless the Lord all the time. I will praise, uh, 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 shall, shall continually come out of my mouth, for I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. In the Chronicles, we see that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for you. Here's what it is. It's an interesting irony. He's looking for those that are looking. You get it? Are you looking for him? You may not even know that you need him, but you just know something's missing. So he's looking for those that are looking, whose hearts are blameless toward him. So the question then is this, and I think that these first three verses lead us to this one thing. Are you relying on the Lord? Are you trusting the Lord? Because he's watching and he's listening. That's every good reason to do so. Peter was saying something that was absolutely shocking here. Because remember, these people are suffering. These people are going through a really difficult time. Being persecuted. And he's saying uh, something absolutely shocking. And I'm going to say at least to the ears of our culture. And his saying is this. Listen carefully, guys. That in the midst of our suffering... In the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our challenges, don't try to fix the problem. That's what he's saying. Don't try to even make it easier. Right? Instead, choose to do good and seek peace. Isn't that what we read? Right? Don't murmur, don't complain. And then because you rely on him, you will love life. And God will meet you where you're at in the midst of your difficulties. Again, the question is why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Why? Why is it that we can have this peace and have this attitude? Because he also is against those who do, do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He sees them. And David wrote this, and, he, and God saw what was happening to David. And where did David eventually go, or where did he eventually get to? To the throne. These are all the experiences that he writes about in the Psalms. But when he was still a young man and being persecuted, remember Saul persecuted him? Now it was Abimelech. Doing good then, church, is it's difficult. As a general rule, especially because evil has an immediate reward. Right? <laughs> what do you think road rage is about? You get cut off, and then you start going at it, and you cut off. It's an immediate satisfaction. Evil has immediate rewards. Long-term problems, like having to be bailed out of jail because you actually smack somebody, right? And then being good, it has its rewards also, but they're usually delayed. You have to wait for them. So, it's better for us to do good and to wait for what the Lord has for us than to do evil. And that's the promise that God is making here 
in Peter's letter. Now verse 13. Let's see if we can move on a little bit more. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? I looked at this passage for a while and I was like, hmm. Who's going to harm you if you're like wanting to do good? Well, most likely uh, not too many people. We like people who do good. Right? If, you're doing, if you do something good for someone, are they likely to harm you? I mean, we're talking about statistically now. If you do good for somebody, are they likely to harm you? No. Can they? Yes. The potential exists. That's what Peter is addressing here. Even in a hostile world, they are slow to hurt people who are doing good, who are kind and caring. But it does happen. And that's what he's saying here. So he's trying to reason in that, hey, just do good because the probability is that most people will not harm you. But don't be ignorant to the fact that there are some that will. Got it? Good. So all Christians should be passionate, listen, to do good. Even to those who mistreat you. Now in the early church, Peter is saying, if you choose to do good in hard times, who could really harm you? Right? Someone might. Right? But ultimately, where's our destiny? Let's say they do harm us to the point of death. Alright, so here it goes, you guys, because we have to be real about the history here. Let's say they harmed you and you end up dying. But where do you end up? Hello? Christian, heaven. See, we're too worldly-minded. And that's why these things bother us. That's why we don't have peace. That's why we don't have a life that we love. Because that's how we started this, isn't it? No, church. If they were to harm us to the point of death, right, we have the perspective that we will end up in heaven. That's, that's the reality that we have to face as Christians. Amen? So we won't take things so seriously. Because if you're living for this life and for this earth, your life to be easy, what in reality is going to happen is you're going to be miserable. Because you're not going to find what your soul truly desires. That God-shaped hole, to borrow from a, a, a what's a cliche in Christendom, that God-shaped hole, you can't feel it. You can't, there isn't enough in this life to fill it up. Only Christ can fill it. And ultimately, if you seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, 
If you live for heaven, knowing you're a citizen of heaven, you'll find out that even though people may hurt you, they can't ultimately harm you. Why? Because if they do end up like some of these Christians, if you do end up dying at their hands, you wake up the next breath in the presence of Christ. This makes for strong Christians. You know? Let's go on. We can finish the rest of this chapter simply by reading it. For even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what suffering allows us to have is the opportunity to witness. What suffering affords us is it makes us prepared to give a defense of, to anyone who may ask us, how is it that you still love life in the midst of your suffering? Because it's not just this life that we live for, we also have a hope of heaven, a living hope, because we have a resurrected Christ waiting for us. Yep. We could do it with gentleness and respect. having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Hey, none of us want to suffer, right? But if we must, if there's no choice, then let it be for doing good and not doing evil. If you suffer for your foolish acts and decisions, then that's on you. You actually deserve it. <laughs> right? You reap what you sow. But if you suffer for doing good, then, you know, that's better. That's what Peter's saying. Here we go. Verse 18. I think you can see see it on the screen for Christ also suffered for uh, once for sins oh Jesus suffered yeah that's why he came and the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God his suffering brought us to God so it was a good thing being put to death in the flesh but being alive in the spirit so Jesus is a perfect example church of suffering for doing good the whole story of redemption he was the just one, capital J-U-S-T, the just one who suffered for the unjust. So we have an example in Christ. Amen? He did it for us. And what was the purpose of that, according to verse 18? To bring us to Christ. To restore our brokenness. To bring the dead relationship that we had back to a living hope in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now we're getting into a little bit about what happened when Jesus died and what happened those three days when he was in the tomb. He went into Abraham's bosom. 
And he said he went into the spirits that were there in the prison, the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patient waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons who were brought safely through water. You see, the righteous ones in the story of Noah were brought through. The rest died in the flood, and then Jesus went into that place, and he preached to them. Then uh, Peter talks about baptism, using the flood as an example of baptism, a figure of baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a renewal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. So because of his death, because of our confession of our sins in Christ, when we see what he did for us at Calvary's cross, how we went into the tomb, our sins went there too. Who are you referring to here? And because of that, we can have a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's the key. Verse 22. Who has gone into heaven. So we have the resurrection. Then we have his ascension. We hear from the angels proclaiming to the disciples who were wondering what's going on. He said, this same Jesus that you see going into the clouds will someday return in like manner. So this is the hope we have. Jesus in heaven, our great high priest, interceding for our, on our behalf. Amen? Ever interceding on our behalf. Our defense attorney, our advocate as first john says he's gone into heaven victorious sin could not hold him in the grave the father raised him justifying his work at calvary's cross for us and guess what happens he's at the right hand of the father he's at the right hand of god right now so what is jesus up to right now the scriptures tell us in john's gospel that he's making an abode for us that where he is, we may also go. So that's our expectation. That's our hope. Don't keep your grip so tight on this world, church. Know that there is a home for us, a permanent eternal home. Jesus who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers haven't been subjected to him. Everything is under him. Everything is hypostaso. Remember we talked about that? In an under position. So then in fact, because of this, it is true what Paul wrote to the Philippians, that the, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, those who are in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Jesus is Lord. Amen? And because of that, we made it. Amen? So let's say it together. We made it. Well, I'm, I'm speaking in future tense here. Don't know what you're going through now. It don't matter. We made it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Through the work of Christ at Calvary's cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Father. Because 
you now live ever interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father, having resurrected and ascended into heaven. And we have your eyes, we have your ears. Help us as a church to walk under that reality and acknowledge, Father, that all is well and to continue praising you in spite of our circumstances because we know that ultimately, Lord, and finally, one day, we'll be with you forever. I ask you to touch the heart and soul and mind of each and every one of us here this morning. Take this sermon, Lord, and perfect it in their lives with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.